Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of this city and region. Today on Work With Purpose, we talk inclusion with a particular focus on people with a disability. For individuals, teams and organisations to survive in the face of the increasing complexity and disruption that we all face, we need to draw on the talent around us that matches the world we operate in. But to thrive, we must unlock the potential of that talent and draw on the richness of its diversity and perspective. Joining me for today's discussion are a couple of the Australian Public Service's rising stars, Kane Beckett, Assistant Secretary, Policy Projects and Task Forces at the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, and Catherine Seberg, an Assistant Commissioner at the Australian Public Service Commission with responsibility for inclusion. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Kane, if I might begin with you, you've had quite the career so far with wonderful diversity of roles in the corporate, not-for-profit and public sectors, solving some of Australia's most wicked problems, including the setting up of the NDIS, running the Canberra Office of the Disability Royal Commission, being involved with the Cerebral Palsy Alliance for over 13 years. And indeed, you are a co-founder of the Attitude Foundation, which is a a wonderful organisation with that mission to normalise the portrayal of people with a disability in the media. Now, I won't mention the fact that you also speak five languages and were once world ranked in archery, but in your views for someone with a disability, which is cerebral palsy, how would you assess the current state of play? And I'd ask you that more broadly, not just to focus on the APS, we'll come to that, but how is Australia going at the moment, managing inclusion and particularly managing um, the, the needs and, and, and demands and the opportunities for people with a disability? I think the APS and the other sectors of the economy are really reflective of the broader community attitudes to disability at the moment. I think Australia would like to think it's doing pretty well, we're pretty enlightened, we've, we've come a long way. And whilst it's true we've made good progress, I think most people would be shocked by the amount of discrimination and the disparity between uh, disability and um, in, in employment more broadly. So uh, I think even some things like the Royal Commission being underway at the moment is very helpful for um, raising the profile and raising awareness. And it's only through that awareness that we can make a difference. So when you mention the word discrimination, what, what are some of the more typical, more common forms of discrimination that people with a disability face? Well, one of my good friends describes in various ways, um, you know, the, one of the things that the disability community talks about is the biggest problem with disability is everybody else. Uh, and... Um, particularly in terms of discrimination, uh, what we describe as the soft bigotry of low expectations, uh, particularly in employment. Uh, I think it goes much broader than that and, it, and it's 
quite ubiquitous. Um, I've I've talked about with Catherine before uh, in some other forums. Uh, everything from overt discrimination and discrimination in employment that means that I, for example, am more likely to apply for jobs where I know the person that's doing the hiring just to avoid some of those issues, uh, to um, more serious but also hilarious things where, you know, I've, I've talked about with my partner, for example, the fact that uh, I should carry proof that my children are my own when I walk around a shopping centre because... Um, you can see people think that I've stolen them from somewhere or something like that, you know. So it's it's quite common and uh, almost everyday occurrence and people with disabilities, unfortunately, we learn to, to deal with that and get around it as best we can. But how how can it be overcome, though? Is It, it seems that, you know, it is, it's, is it so deeply entrenched that it is is something that, it, that people with a disability are going to have to live with despite everyone's best efforts? One of the things we're talking a lot about at the moment is that it, the problems and challenges are very much like those which we've tackled and are tackling with gender diversity. Uh, so I would describe, for example, that we're about 60 years behind uh, the debate on gender diversity. So if we can learn uh, from some of the things we've done in that space to improve outcomes and, and to get better results, then um, maybe we'll get there a little bit more quickly. Uh, but I think even within the APS, uh, it's quite pleasing at the moment that there's some some trends and things that are, give us some hope, I guess. Uh, we're starting to realise, for example, we, in terms of employment, that uh, it's less about the employees and more about the employers. So um, building capabilities in hiring managers and building disability confidence, for example. Uh, Catherine can probably talk more about that. Yeah, well, I'll come to you, Catherine, because this challenge of inclusion was addressed by the APS in the Disability Employment Strategy, which was released last year. What are some of those key areas that Kane refers to where progress is being made in the APS? Look, when I reflect on um, what Kane said and how um, how raw and how um, powerful some of his reflections are. Um, I guess I, I really want to start by saying how fortunate we are to have someone in the uh, to have people in the APS like Kane, who are so willing to share their experiences in a really honest way. And I guess when I reflect on the things that that Kane has said, and I think about the disability employment strategy, um, things that really um, stand out for me, which are uh, focuses in the strategy are uh, access to employment. So how do we actually make it more, uh, make it easier for people with a disability to um, to join the APS? Um, but the really strong takeout for me um, is what do we do to actually improve those employment pathways? So, you know, it, it's... Um, all well and good to get people in the door. But, you know, as Kane said, um, if we have low expectations, if people don't feel included, um, if they don't have the opportunities that others have, um, and really importantly, and I'm glad that, that Kane picked up on this, is the focus in the strategy on having managers and leaders um, who can support um, 
development of people with a disability um, and a culture in the APS that's inclusive. And really, if we don't have those things, then as a service, we failed. Um, what I what I would like to see from the strategy, the outcome, is at that really profound change in disability employment in the APS. Um, and, and I really think that the there is such value in the personal stories that people like Kane share um, because that helps us all um, to have a better APS. So, yeah, I think uh, the strategy has the uh, has the answers maybe but the proof is the proof is in how we implement and how we deliver it mm. where do you see the barriers you know to this transformation of, of the culture so there is that leadership there is that understanding and there is that movement away from as Kane very powerfully talks about that soft bigotry of low expectations how, how do you change that yeah. So look, I think there is, I think there's enormous goodwill in the APS, and I do think that people want to do the right thing. Um, but I think where we perhaps need to do a lot more is around that um, manager capability um, and leadership. So we have um, we have the opportunity, I guess, to um, to really uh, increase disability awareness, increase um, the ability of our managers to um, support more inclusive recruitment practices. Uh, for me, I guess it's really it's really about that um, that leadership um, and manager capability. Cain, mm. would you agree that that's that's a good place to start? Yeah, absolutely. I think those those attitudes, not just in uh, the workplace, but in the broader community, uh, that was that was obviously one of the reasons why we founded uh, that Attitude Foundation because it is the key to un- unlocking um, so much of the other change. I think also just a recognition that um, we are on that same journey as some of the other. Um, uh, diversity challenges and that it's not that different. Uh, and so how do we leverage some of those learnings so that um, we can get there a little bit quicker? Uh, you know, all the same things that we talk about in other spaces, such as um, more people with disabilities in leadership roles. Yeah. Uh, there's been a discussion uh, last week at the Royal Commission about people with disability on boards. Uh, all of those sorts of the same things that we've learned slowly over time uh, how do we how do we implement them in in this same space? What would you see though as the barriers to those being implemented? Because if we if we know what needs to be done, why isn't it happening faster? To, to be honest, I think it's in much the same way as you know the broader um, question. Um, I've sort of given up, I guess, of appealing to people's sense of social justice and and ethics. Uh, after 40 years, probably realised that it's that's going to take too long. Uh, so I, I'm not appealing to people to do the right thing. I'm I'm appealing to them uh, to think about inclusion because it's actually in their best interests. Inclusive teams perform better and 
uh, we're better employees and so on and so on. Uh, I think the the broader social justice questions take longer, and and I'm 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 impatient. Yeah, and I I think I totally agree with you, Kane, because I think what we haven't sold well enough um, in the APS is almost that um, business case around why we need a diverse and inclusive APS, why we're missing out on a whole pool of talent. Uh, why our our services um, could be better uh, if we more reflected the community that we serve. So I think think there's definitely the the social justice element, but I, I think where we haven't been strong enough to date is around the real benefits um, for the APS. Kane, you have worked in the not-for-profit. You've worked in the corporate sector. You've worked in the uh, the uh, the pro- the, uh, the public sector as well. Are there examples either in the private sector or overseas where changes have been made that have had big impacts that could perhaps be adopted inside the APS? Sure, and I think the APS is um, not further ahead or behind than than any other sector. They're they're pretty much the same. Uh, uh, particularly when you start to realise that people with disabilities make up fifteen percent of the population, and that uh, even within sort of the family unit, there's there might be um, in most families uh, someone with a disability. Um, some of the employers, particularly in larger employers that need large workforces, have started to realise that um, by being exclusive, they they really are diminishing the pool of um, talent available to them. So um, I think there's good examples, particularly in the private sector, of those organisations where it's taken a little bit of leadership and perhaps um, um, strong support from a particular CEO or leadership team, but um, it's really made quite a difference. And and you can even see some examples of that in particular teams around the APS. Mm. So, Catherine, how will the APS or the Public Service Commission in particular measure um, its progress around the the disability strategy? Yeah, that's a really good question, David. And to be honest, it's something that... um, we've struggled with um, and it is something that we're really focused on at the moment. So we we know that uh, we have data from our HR systems, we have um, data from our uh, employee census that tells us, um, that gives us an idea of how um, our staff are feeling and how they perceive things, but we haven't really done enough um, to to really show um, what we're achieving. And I guess, so that's a real focus for my team at the moment where we're moving much more to um, a model with health checks for agencies. So much more uh, quality, a mix of qualitative and quantitative data, but very much getting agencies to tell the story about what they're doing um, giving examples of success, sharing those um, stories across the APS, um, encouraging agencies to leverage um, the work that they're doing. Um, 
and really sort of trying to paint that much more uh, rich story about um, how well we're doing or how or where we need to to improve. But um, yeah, the the qualitative side of things is probably something we haven't done well, um, and something that we're we're going to be much more focused on through through collecting stories. So, Kane, there was a focus and part of this discussion a little bit earlier, talking about the the managers and the leaders, and perhaps changing their views such that you know progress can be made faster. But what advice or guidance or wisdom would you would you share with the audience, people who are perhaps not in those roles but are working alongside people? What can what can your, you know, your general person who's working in the APS do to make um, a more inclusive, more accessible um, public service? Your question reminds me of a discussion I had about 10 years ago with uh, uh, in the boardroom of one of Australia's largest employers and I was there with the Discrimination Commissioner and we were talking to their executive team and the CEO um, famously asked, what, what can we do to improve uh, employment of people with disabilities? Uh, and the sort of rather prophetic response was, um, the next management role you have, hire someone with a disability. Uh, so I think in some ways it is as simple as that. We, we have to just act. Uh, in terms of your question, though, around what can everybody do, um, even just understanding that... Uh, one of the key barriers here is a lack of understanding um, and and fear of the unknown, perhaps on both sides. So even just being willing to engage and talk with your employees, uh, I guarantee you've got people with disabilities uh, in your teams, even if you don't know. Uh, and so be, being willing to engage and have a conversation and, and break down some of those communication barriers is probably a good first step. Is there any advice that you do have for people about stepping forward into what they may perceive to be a, a difficult conversation where they, I don't know, they may feel uncomfortable um, not wanting to, to talk about it? You know, pretty much like, you know, when we started this podcast, I asked, you know, whether or not you would like to, um, you know, identify and talk about it because, again, I wasn't quite sure whether or not you'd like to talk about it or not. Yeah, being willing to identify and even for people with disabilities, being willing to share is is difficult. Uh, in my case, I can't hide the fact that I have a disability. It's quite obvious. Uh, I've got a very aesthetic looking walk. Uh, but um, just being willing to open and be open and share is on, on both sides is a, is a good starting point. Uh, I think that's also key to some of the strategies that Catherine was talking about. We we sort of discuss quite regularly, for example, that, uh, you know, the number of people in the APS uh, with a disability is, is about, probably about double those to, that choose to identify as having a disability. So even just making it safe to identify is, is, a, long, is a good step. Mm. Uh, Catherine, is that part of, of the plan or part of the, the strategy as well is to encourage conversation? Yeah, look, absolutely, and disability disclosure is certainly um, a challenge. Um, it disturbs me that people 
may not identify as having a disability because they feel it's not safe or in their best interest to do so. So I think those conversations um, are really important. And David, if I could share a, a quick story as an example. So I have a, a little group in the commission um, and, you know, we work on diversity and inclusion issues and and what my team identified was that they, even though they're a pretty diverse bunch, they didn't really have um, enough, uh, they weren't talking enough to people with lived experience. So we started um, a regular little Ask Anything session where we got some very generous speakers, or we get some very generous speakers to come in and sit down with my team and have an honest conversation about um, their experiences in the APS um, and the speaker shares uh, what we as a team can do better to support the APS to be more inclusive. And we were really lucky that um, Kane, Kane was actually our first speaker. Um, and look, I can honestly say that the input and that conversation and, and subsequent conversations have been quite profound um, and Shane, as Kane, I can share with you that uh, your name gets mentioned frequently uh, in my team um, and the insights that you shared um, are regularly discussed and I, that sort of honest conversation is just so valuable. Catherine, can you share with us some of the, some of the observations or some of the questions that were highlighted that people took value from and yeah. still talk about? Today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, and and please, Kane, feel free to to jump in if I am uh, misquoting you. But Kane, Kane talked about um, some of the some similar things that he's raised already today. But the things I think that really resonated um, were the experiences Kane shared about. Uh, discrimination that he'd faced in the APS, which I think was quite um, quite eye-opening for us, um, particularly uh, given Kane is, you know, a senior APS uh, member of the APS. And I, I think perhaps my team didn't uh, expect to see that sort of discrimination, see instances of discrimination at senior levels. Um, I would also say that um, they were really, really moved by the things Kane said about feeling uh, the need to be, to prove yourself all the time, to be, to be, um, better, to do things better than others, to prove your worth and your value. And, and those things have really impacted on my team. So, Kane, uh, just moving on, uh, obviously advocacy has been uh, a key part of your career, you know, dating back uh, to the, the founding of the Attitude Foundation, your involvement in cerebral palsy Alliance. Um, is it true that September um, was another of your ideas um, and that being the Cerebral Palsy Alliance uh, fundraiser, which is on at the moment, where 
uh, people have got to take 10,000 steps a day for the month of of September. Uh, is that true to say that that was your idea? Cerebral Palsy Alliance was the founding organisation. I was on the board at the time, so I was I was one of a number of people that um, started it, I guess you could say. Um, what I think is really important is the strategy behind it, uh, you know, the need for greater research into cerebral palsy in particular as a disability. Uh, when I was born, I guess the general expectation was that cerebral palsy was the result of trauma at birth. And so as it was an accident, uh, there wasn't much you could do about it. Uh, And September and and the funding that that has enabled has meant that uh, we could start a a research foundation that focuses on uh, understanding it better. And one of the early things the foundation really was key to to learning was that actually... 95% of cerebral palsy is not trauma at birth and therefore can be prevented. Uh, And so, you know, even that's a great example, just just taking the time to actually understand it a little bit better rather than just make assumptions, I think is a a good example for disability in general. Uh, I'm very hopeful that the the research team will win the Nobel Prize one day and I think they're an amazing team of people and Uh, they do great things and I've no doubt that they'll be successful at some point. Well, you'll be pleased to know that at Content Group, we have two teams, equal teams, you know, fighting to the death uh, throughout September. It's a a very simple, clever idea. Um, It must have succeeded beyond those original uh, discussions that you had. Yeah, it's amazing how how much it's been taken up around the world. I joked with the, the fundraising team that when we started, there was a, we used a couple of post-it notes on the window, uh, which we created numbers out of to track uh, how much the fundraising was. And I'm, I'm, I joked with them that they're going to need some more post-it notes from Officeworks uh, at the current rate. Uh, it's going really well. It's, it's, it's such a great, uh, a great thing to see teams all around the world. I've, you know, I've had contact from from people in England and America and so on that are all, have all got teams. It's just taken off and uh, something that everyone could get involved in, which is really good. Yeah, well, there's that great saying, there's genius in simplicity. And uh, I think it's captured, uh, certainly captured the imagination of our team uh, at Content Group. What about you, Catherine? Are you stepping for September? I am absolutely stepping for September. It's a challenge in lockdown, I must say, but so far so good. I've managed my 10,000 every day. In September, so far, fingers crossed, we'll get to the end. So where to? Where to from here, then, Catherine? For you, where you know, if we're we have this conversation, and I think we should come back and have this conversation in another twelve months. What can we commit to um, that we can reflect on that there's been progress? Yeah, thanks, thanks, David. That's a really good question. Um, so things that I would really like to see. Um, that hopefully will drive progress in the next 12 months is um, so we have a target in the the strategy of, of 7% uh, employment people with disability by 2025. Um, I would like to see us getting closer to that target. Um, I would like to see... Um, there are a few things in the strategy that I really would like us to deliver on. So we 
We talk about having um, disability contact officers um, re and some agencies have already um, got those up and running. I'd like to see those um, more widely rolled out across the APS. Um, I'd like to see our survey results um, and our HR system, um, the level of disability disclosure in those um, be more greatly aligned. So what, what I mean by that, we have our census results and they're anonymous. Um, and in the anonymous survey, we have about double the number of people who disclose that they have a disability um, than those who are uh, recorded on our formal HR systems. And that's telling us something about people's willingness. Um, so I'd like to see a narrowing of that gap. Um, so they're they're probably some of they're probably some of the things that I would love to see um, in the next twelve months. Okay, well we'll come back in September of next year and we will see how things are going <laughs> because again, well they're nice and measurable, but they're things yeah, that we can see. That's and right. Perhaps we can uh, have another conversation at that point about you know how do we get to seven percent faster? Yep. What about for you, Kane? Twelve months time. Yeah, we're on the we we just, we're going to do another podcast. We're going to do work with purpose again. What what would you like to see that's changed in in that twelve months? I like all of Catherine's points. Uh, the the key one for me in the short term, I think, would be more people with disabilities in leadership roles, uh, only because that makes all of the other uh, barriers and and issues that much easier to deal with. Uh, my team, for example, has about um, four times the average uh, people with disabilities uh, in, than the APS, and that's, that's not because I'm specifically focused on it. That's just the nature of the beast. Uh, and so, you know, getting people in those leadership roles, I think, makes everything else easier, and, and I think that's really key. So, so all of those hiring, uh, hiring leaders out there, um, when you're thinking about, you know, particularly your EL two and your SES band one roles, uh, try and get a little bit more diversity. Excellent. Well, I think we can uh, put those down and let's come back in 12 months time. I think the uh, another one we can add to it is perhaps, you know, even more widespread uptake of September across the APS. And uh, I certainly know Content Group will be back and I'll even put IPA on the hook uh, <laughs> September next year as well. But again, it might be something that we can uh, promote through Work With Purpose leading up um, to September. To, Thanks, uh, David. Yeah, I think that could work really well, I think, and see if we can get those numbers up and see if we can find um, more resources to fund that very, very important research. So thank you so much, Kane Beckett, for uh, uh, coming on to work with purpose to do and uh, today, and also Catherine Seberg from the Australian Public Service Commission. Thank you uh, for joining me on work with purpose. A big thank you, as always, to you, the audience, for tuning in once again to hear 
the great stories of the wonderful and talented people of the Australian public service and what a great mission, you know, that, that Kane and Catherine spoke about today about improving the numbers of people uh, with a disability uh, in important roles inside the Australian public service. And I think it's something that we can all work together to improve those numbers. In terms of Work With Purpose to support the program, if you do see the social media promotion, a like or a share never goes astray and a review how we like reviews. So if you do have time to do a review, it does help the program to be found. Thanks again to the great team at IPA for their ongoing support for Work With Purpose and also to the Australian Public Service Commission. Thanks also to the team at Content Group for putting this together. That's it for another episode of Work With Purpose. We'll be back at the same time in a fortnight, but for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. Thank you.